Well, hello there, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I'm your host, Garrett Lynch, and as always, let's get ready to own it. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. My guest today helps the everyday passive investor get involved in one of the most lucrative but inaccessible industries in the world. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to let you guys know if you are interested in finding out more about how you can get involved in a passive investment into an apartment complex and invest alongside the pros, reach out to us at nighthawkequity.com, click join the investor club, set up a call with our investor relations director, David, and see if you qualify to be a part of one of our deals. We'd love to have you partner with us on a highly lucrative real estate investment. I want to give a shout out to Fernando via Apple Podcasts. Fernando said, this is a fantastic podcast. I'm so glad I found it. Michael and Garrett do a really good job of interviewing their guests and getting useful information from them. I highly recommend it. Thank you, Fernando. And if you guys want to get a shout out, please review us on Apple Podcasts and we may shout you out on our show as well. I wanted to highlight one of our first deal makers, Sean Travis and Matt Brennan. They closed on a 76 unit in Pasagoula, Mississippi for 2.75 million. Their mentor was David. And if you guys want to find out how you can get involved with the mentor, reach out to us at themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor and reach out to one of our, our highly trained and personalized mentors that, that have done a lot of deals. And they're really going to be the best shot that some of you have at, at getting one done without any guidance. These guys are, are amazing. We've had so many people do deals alongside the mentors. So if you're interested in hearing out more, reach out to us there. Grant Norwood is the CEO of Norwood Energy Group. His specialty is recognizing opportunity hotspots in undiscovered areas of the country where they can operate significantly below the costs of oil giants like Exxon or Chevron. We are extremely excited to welcome Grant to the show. So let's get into the interview. Grant, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Garrett. Glad y'all had me on. Now, you're in the oil and gas industry. Talk to me a little bit about how you get involved into the game and what you're doing now. Me getting involved kind of started as a teenager, growing up kind of around it. And then, you know, in college, I was actually going to school for political science and had the opportunity to get under the wing of a gentleman who'd been in the industry for a long time kind of work my way through various apprenticeships, if you will. They weren't technically that, but sometimes it was paid, sometimes it was unpaid. And then I started investing myself in various projects that other people generated until I was kind of financially sound enough to generate them myself. And then as capital intensive as it is, which you probably know from real estate, it's better to aggregate funds if you really want to grow. Uh, So one thing led to another and a few successful ventures. And now we're actually a pretty thriving company and we've got a lot in store this year. That's awesome. So, all right. So you started working for somebody initially Mm -hmm. to learn the business. 
Because I had a, I had a similar experience with that. And so, and how long did you work with the, with that person? The first one was three years. I had another two year stint with a different gentleman, and then all up until the end of this past year, I had another three year stint. Uh, so they were all different facets of the industry. So you pick up a little bit from one person and then you decide, hey, I kind of really want to be more on this side. And then, you know, if you jump around again, you're pretty much covering all bases. So I really started with land and title, which is like the first step of the process to, you know, drilling or developing a field is to actually acquire the leases. So from there, I got into acquisitions. And then in operations. So I kind of have a bit of a background in, in all three, which helps me because, you know, one person can't dare do it all, but you can speak the same language as the people you hire or contract to do some of these jobs. So you don't have to, I guess, rely on them 100% uh, when you're looking at their work. You kind of know whether or not it's being done right which gives you an advantage over others. You know, so many people are one dimensional, but take these executive roles that I think that parts of it could be lacking just because they're inexperienced. So I might not be a master of anything, but I've, I've got a good framework for all facets that go into operations. Sure. So I'm, I'm looking at this kind of like how I look at a syndication, but 30,000 foot view what is your business and what does it do? So what we do is we try to find opportunities on the on two different levels. One's going to be either distressed sellers or distressed assets that need capital infusion. The other one's going to be starting from square one. And, uh, and what, are, what are assets exactly? That'd be producing wells, cash flow generating, producing wells. Got it or leases that have the potential to produce. So more on the producing field side. So you might buy a field that's been producing for, I don't know, some of them two or three years, some of them 20, 30 years, and you're looking for ways to improve that production or drill additional wells where they have locations left. So you might have a field that covers thousands of acres and the original development plan was to drill a well every 200 acres. Well, you've got 30 wells there and 30 to go. And for whatever reason, maybe a, a crash in the market or whatever, the remaining locations didn't get drilled. So we see that as a great opportunity because you're not paying for those extra locations that have that great upside. You're just paying for what's there. So you're actually kind of getting those locations for free. And there lies your upside. So, all right. So you get similar this and guys there's so many similarities to our business as as this but essentially you're finding you know these distressed assets and then you're capitalizing on it similar to what we do we find apartment complexes that are underperforming we make an offer on it or some in some cases develop a building in on a piece of land after purchasing it and then we implement our business plan to make it more valuable and so it sounds like you're doing similar things what would cause an oil asset to become distressed? Usually it's going to be like a change of ownership. And so many of these assets are handed down and the children may or may not follow in the parents' footsteps, but they're dumped in their lap. Those are the distressed situations that I really like. They don't have the expertise. They weren't kind of there. 
So what what ends up happening is they try to they try to keep the farm going, and they they don't do so well with it. So they wind up contracting help. The help sees a good opportunity to to make a lot of money and do as little as possible. And it just the story never changes. Just the names, but you know, let's call it two sons and a daughter inherit an oil field. That oil field's making 150 barrels a day when they get it. Six months into it, it's down to 70. They're spending every dollar they have trying to get it to go back up. And therefore, they they bleed themselves out and they're going, okay, well, what can we get for this thing? You know, yeah. so we come in, we make an offer, we get it, we get the, like within a matter of weeks, we get it right back to where it was. And then it's start our improvement because it's wow. just such minor changes, you know, but I don't know. I've got a lot of goodwill, but not enough to kind of do it for them and hand it back. And so it there's not like a, a loop net or, or like co-star or something. There, there, there is. is. There, there is. is. There is. But then our, I mean, you're going to be paying four, five years net cash flow multiple on things. When if you just really get in the trenches and seek out these opportunities, you're paying two to three years multiple ah. on, on something that's underperforming. Right. You want to pay you want to pay four or five years for something that can't be improved on or two to three years that's running at 30 to 50% of its potential. So how do you, so it sounds like you guys are hunting for off market oil deals most of the time. Correct. Do you have like a a whole setup or team that, that just calls these people or how do you, how do you find them? In a way, I guess we, we do all of our own work. So we're always out in the field with various specialty vendors. So you know, it, we we contract the equipment, we contract the labor, but it's our engineers. They're turning the wrenches. We're telling them how far to turn, but they're also doing this for other people. So you kind of just hear through the grapevine. We've tried just doing mailers, calling, working with advisors, and and you get the same result, overpriced stuff that has very little upside. Some of the best deals comes from, hey, you're up, you're just out checking on your well. Cause what kind of what I do is I, I go across all five States that we have wells in once a month and you'll be out there with the, with the field foreman and somebody will drive by and say, Hey, we cut the stuff across the street. You know, we, we've got X, Y, and Z going on with it. And we just really don't know how to fix it. We've kind of given up. So if, you know, since we figured you might be interested cause you're right next door and you're sitting there going, well, let me think about it. But in your mind, you're going, thank God. <laughs> I don't know what I did. To, I don't know what I did this week to deserve that good fortune. But yes, I'm very interested. Yeah, but that, that seems like you're kind of just, you know, kind of like finding a dollar at a gas station on the ground or something. I mean, like. That's the best way to find those. Dollars. Really? So, all right. Yeah. So, so you go check on your own wells and someone approaches you yeah. and you're like, hey, I got this field. I, I'm not running very well. Um, Man, yes. Yes. That's literally yes. it, huh? Yeah, because I mean, you said LoopNet. Just get on EnergyNet.com right now. Look at some of those prices, and if it's under a four or five year cash flow multiple, it's going to say reserve not met. You're going to get in there, and they're going to try to talk you into buying it for the reserve or higher. So and they got a broker involved, and the broker is like trying to drive the price up and and all that, so they get a big right. Yeah, so I mean, that's just not how money is made. But hey, you could. Get on there right now. You could find there's a bunch of different oil and gas management companies. Pay them a thousand bucks per well, and you're, you're you can do this without me. But if you want to find the the deals and 
you know, see your money back in a year or two, you've got to get in the trenches. That's where, that's where they hide. So, so you guys kind of self-manage everything as well, right? So you're, you're vertically integrated, but are there also, there's management companies that just do this for a fee versus owning it? Yeah, they, they do it. They do it for a fee, but the fee, I guess, is is cheap on one hand. It's interest out of line on the other. So, you know, with me, my interest is your interest. If I win, you win, you win, I win kind of thing. So, you know, where they're charging a thousand dollars a well, that could sound really cheap if it's a high volume well. That could sound really expensive if it's a low volume well. But then anything beyond just sending you the reports of what it's doing is is additional money. So when you add it all up, we're probably a lot cheaper and have your best interests in mind. If you're interested in passively investing in multifamily syndications, we'd love to hear from you. Go to nighthawkequity.com, click the join button and join our investment club. Fill out a short form. And then you can have a call with us and we'd be happy to share with you some of our upcoming investment opportunities we have. That's nighthawkequity.com. Talk to you soon. Man, this is crazy how much it, it's similar to our industry, which is cool. So like, same thing, you can self-manage your assets, your stuff's aligned, you have full integration. I mean, the, the challenge is the HR side. Now you have to take on you know all the accounting, all the HR. But, you, but it gives you the control that you, that you may want at the time. Now I've done it both ways. Right. We're, we're yeah. choosing now to do a third party because we have a pretty strong third party management company, and it makes more sense than us to put the infrastructure in place at this level. We we just don't really care to deal with that on the other side. But I can see how you know how it would be favorable to have that kind of situation. And would you say most people do that on your side, or, or would you say it's the opposite? It's a healthy blend of both. I mean, with negative interest rates in Europe, there's so much European money in the American oil and gas space. They usually get these contract operators and and they're usually the ones buying this overpriced stuff on the internet that keeps the prices so high. But other than that, I'd say it's it's more geared towards what we're doing. Every now and then you'll have a have a professional of a different industry, whether it be a doctor, lawyer, dentist, baseball player, whatever that just want to own an oil well, then they'll do it. But for the most part, they're going to manage it themselves. And, you know, some of our accounting gets outsourced, you know, since here's the only thing that's different about oil and gas is we have royalty owners. So, you know, with my land background, what I would do is I'd go talk to these farmers and try to secure a lease from them and you pay them a bonus per acre and then you pay them a royalty rate out of whatever, based on whatever comes out of the ground. What's great when it's just one farmer but if that farm's been in a family for 10 generations and each generation had 10 kids, you've got thousands of owners. You know, I've got one field in East Texas with 6,000 owners. Now that I outsource. If I don't outsource all the billing and stuff like that. <clears throat> I think it keeps me- A lot of K-1s, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, 1099s on the revenue. Oh, okay. Uh, with K-1s, I'd probably have more gray hairs and receding <laughs> hair and stuff like that. But no, I, I'm- do all the I do all the revenue and all the expenses myself. It kind of keeps me disciplined because if I'm writing those checks going out for the various expenses, then I'm also going, okay, where are the holes? What can we cut back on? You know, where can we save? We've done a great job just cutting out expenses. They're 
kind of another big source of capital is hedge funds and private equity groups and stuff like that. And they'll find a guy like me and pluck me out of my own little thing and say, hey, instead of managing $50 million worth of assets, come manage 300 and we're going to pay you a salary and you're going to get some equity and yada, yada, yada. Okay, cool. Then he outsources everything. And then those costs are way up here. You know, and then they'll ride it. The, they'll ride that cash flow for five or ten years. Then a guy like me will come and buy it, and then okay, well, I don't need this. I don't need that. I don't need this. And heck, we save a fortune. So there's a bunch of ways of skinning cats, but there's a few tried and true ones, and that's finding these children of oil men that you know have have a little bit of difficulty keeping it going like Dad did, and then also these funds that have these five and 10 year exit strategies. And then you just walk in and there's nothing wrong. They're performing the way they're, they're supposed to. There might be a little bit more limitation on the upside because they do a lot better than, than these inherited assets. But there's great upside in cutting expenses out and just a lot of fat that nobody really minded before. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, how are these structured typically? Do you bring in hedge funds to invest in these or is it, is it just high net worth well, individuals? Uh, well, syndicating think, it or? Yeah. So for a long time, it was high net worth individuals and I'm not saying we don't still, but now, now we have these real estate syndications that, you know, they're flush with cash. They've taken this great market and liquidated stuff and they don't like to sit on the cash and, you know, being in Dallas, Texas, I'm not saying it's like a hub for that, but there's quite a bit it of it. It is a hub. That's like the Mecca of multifamily is Dallas. It's all that we're, it's like the breeding ground for all these groups that, you know, try to produce syndic- syndicators on the education side. So yeah, you're kind of like ground zero, man. Well, they've, they've done well and now they're going, what next? So they found their way to me. I've either known them my whole life or a great deal of time. And shoot, I'm on my fourth fund with guys like that. And a lot of times they, really want it to resemble the multifamily space, you know, either the juice is worth the squeeze. We're going to ride it just as it sits and just keep cashing checks or, Hey, we're going to lay out a plan to go pursue some of the upside and improve on this cash flow. But I'd say kind of more the high net worth people, you know, they're taking advantage of the tax benefits. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. What kind of tax benefits would would a passive investor get? Uh, well, getting into one of these. So the greatest tax benefit is neutrally. So you put a hundred grand in, you write hundred grand off. On top of that, the cash flow that you get from that hundred grand, you only pay taxes on 85% of it. So 15% is tax-free. And what they're letting you do is depreciate that reservoir you're producing from it. So you're, you're writing off the intangible expenses, which is going to be the man hours, the equipment rentals, anything you can't salvage off of that well, which winds up being 80%. Then you're doing bonus depreciation on the tangible equipment that goes into that new well you're drilling. And how does that go? Because we we have still 100 for a couple months, then it goes to 80% bonus depreciation. But what does that look like on an oil and gas field? It, It would be the same thing that rule 179 qualifies. Now, when some of these things start going down and stuff, you're going to have to start moving closer and closer back to seven years. So we've had a little bit of a, I guess, compounded benefit 
than we have in recent years. But even, I mean, since 1986, you've gotten to capture at least 80% of it in the first year, just because that's how much of a new wells costs are intangible things you can't salvage. So you have been getting that for a long time. Recently, we've been getting the whole thing. And then, you know, we've always had the depletion allowance where you're depreciating your reservoir. Now that's pretty thrilling. What kind of returns do these things spit off typically? It's so far all over the board, but you go into it knowing what you're trying to accomplish. So, I mean, you can have wells that might take three years to return the capital, even though they're brand new, but you have a reason why you're doing it. Maybe they last 100 or you have wells that will return the capital in three to six months, but they last five years. And then there's everything in between. You know, I like I like to shoot for things that return between 12 and 18 months, cash on cash, your initial investment, but they they have at least 20 years or better of productive lifespan that's profitable. And is there ability to do like like in our business, we can do a refinance and cash out percentage of initial investor capital? Is there something like that that exists in in this industry too? There is. So on the drilling side, I would say if you go into a project that's the multi-well project, absolutely. You know, you're going to have your cash back from the cash flow. And I think that's the biggest difference between this and real estate is you're not sitting there just kind of building equity, building, you know, wealth on paper. You're building wealth in your bank account, which has the pros and cons too. Yours is constantly growing. Mine, you get it back in your hand and then you have to do something else with it because that well's value is going down as you're making all this cash flow where yours, you know, you might not be making all this cash flow, but your value is going up. That's kind of where the disconnect comes. So the, val- the value of these go down as, as you spit the cash right. out? Oh, because well, you write it off the day you buy it. Then right. but when you go to sell it. Of, right. Well, we, you go to sell it, but let's say we drill a well today. Yep. We spend a million dollars on it. It generates us $5 million in cash flow in the first, let's call it 15 years. But the majority of that's probably going to come in the first 36 months. Well, then when you get down to, let's call it the 10th year, you can sell it for a three to four, or if you get on energy net, sometimes five year net cash flow multiple. That's probably at that point in its life lower than what you put in it. You've There's already less made, left, right? Yeah. You, well, you've already made your money. Let's say at that point, that well's cash flow in 300 grand a year, you sell it for 900 grand. So you lost 10% on your principal, but you made 500% in cash flow. And it's not like a, IRR weird term that you know you amplify something that's actually 10% and you're calling it 35 even though you don't have 35% cash in your pocket. I always stay away from those things and, and refer to cash on cash because you know when it has these numbers that are referring to a portion of the capital, not the entire pie that you put in, then somebody's going, well, it's not adding up and you have to sit and explain it to them. So ideally. You've got a, let's say you're launching a new, or you got a deal, you're la- you launch it. You're like, okay, we're going to return a capital. I give you a hundred K and I, right. I'm like, okay, here, put this into the deal, goes into a fund, maybe with other oil wells or whatever, or maybe it's a one-off. 
that 100k you try to return it in you know 18 months ideally or or two years maybe let's say and then after that you're kind of free rolling right so it's you're, you're free rolling so you yeah. got it back in your hand now that, that that money that i get back that's all my capital so obviously i'm not paying taxes on that but i have a right i can write off 100% of that 100k right right the well, so okay so the I, the only thing the only thing that i want to go over is you put the 100k in it goes on your schedule c it goes against your ordinary income so you get your write off there yep. now that cash flow you're paying taxes on 85% of that cash Got flow yep so kind of you're get, you're getting it twice and then you but that that 15% that you're saving you know you kind of get to write it off twice cuz if the thing makes its money back five times 15% you know five times you're you know not quite there but close so you kind of getting to write off your principal twice now kind of what in recent times guys are doing is they're actually leveraging their investments and then writing it off a few more times which I'm not a tax person so I don't get into that but they're telling me how they're doing it or their accountants doing it I'm kind of you know interested in sure. learning more it's also outside so of So does the depreciation cover that the cash flow that you're getting typically so mm. you, you've got you're getting paid you have to pay taxes at 85% of it not all of it but yeah so um, if you put in 100 grand you get back 100 grand 15% of that you're not paying taxes on. Correct. But is but the depreciation side, does it cover the remaining 85% typically or no? Mm, it does over time. Okay. So it's like, okay, if it makes a hundred grand this year, then it's probably going to make about 80 grand next year because yeah. you have a thing called flush production. So you kind of go, okay, well, I save 15. I say, let's just call it 10 I'm off a little bit. Then next year it makes 70 and then it's going to make 50 for 10 years. So Got then it. you're saving 7,500, 7,500. And you can write off more. You can do a, you can prove that you're depleting your reservoir at a rate greater than 15%, but then you only get to deplete it down to 100%, where the 15%, if you don't do any more than that, it's into perpetuity. Got it. So, we have those 20 so years, we're at a, we're at 100. I get my money back to say in two years. And then you've got how long before I double that? So I get it back, but then how long before I make another 100K, let's say, typically? Uh, typically, it would be probably two and a half that second time, and then three Perfect. that third time. And then it kind of goes to where then you'd be seeing it every five to six years. And then when you sell, when you actually sell the asset later down the road, right? How long does that take? Like 10 years or something? 15? I mean, it all depends on exit strategy. Some of these sure. wells would want to turn as soon as we prove they can produce. So whenever you drill a well on a lease, it's usually not the only well you can drill on that lease. So let's say we get a fair sized lease and let's call it thousand acres and you can drill a well every 40 acres. So, you know, thousand acres, well, every 40, we drill 10 as soon as they're producing we might be setting it up to turn it over to a private equity group that just wants a, a predictable drilling program and you're selling them not only the cash flow but the upside of those additional locations to develop and that would be a huge arbitrage and we've done it before but at that point that's not going to be one of those long-term sales but we know it going into it sure so, so it could you could do that or you could just sell the whole thing what in like 10 15 years you want correct as correct. some kind of equity so, multiple of what's remaining of what's remaining absolutely right so that's cool so one, but you might you're not upset if you have to do the second 
And do you finance these deals or no? We do on acquisition. So a lot of the last several minutes have been just on their drilling, but on the acquisitions, we finance one. A lot of times I prefer to use cash because you do have to hedge when you borrow money and it does have to be at least six, seven million in size. Sometimes we see acquisitions that are one or two million. They're so great that we can't pass up on them, but you're not gonna, you're not gonna get an acquisition that small financed. It's hard enough to get one, five or six financed. When you're going for 20, 30, 40, 50, the bank wants to work with you. But I hate the debt service. I hate the cost to hedge. So sure. I try not to do it, but sometimes it makes the most sense and it's the, actually the highest return. So we've done it once and we'll probably do it again next year with the same fund that we did the first one. So yes, you do that. But one last thing on the taxes, we were talking about, hey, throw 100 grand in, write 100 grand off. A lot of times on these acquisitions, we could pursue an acquisition that's you know, $4 million and we want to put a million dollars into it. Well, then 20% of that is written off that first year. So those don't get as much tax benefits, but everything you do improving it is a write-off and it's right there first year as well. But yeah, yeah that makes sense. That's really cool, man. So. So it sounds like you know you don't really want to finance these that that's not that's not the game plan typically because you don't need to if you can just you know raise the capital and have a cash flow that's that's more ideal but you know because you don't have to worry about debt service etc. And then let's say you you buy it for you know a million bucks you have to improve the operations how much so in our in our business we put obviously capital improvements into it it could be in the you know in the millions of dollars that we're throwing in what do you typically spend on, on an oil well to get it up and running? Some of it, so much of it is about depth. So, I mean, a shallow well, it could be as cheap as a few thousand dollars, a deep well. It could be as much as a couple hundred thousand dollars. So we're, we're always pursuing things between like three and 6,000 feet where it's in the low five figure range for improvements. You start getting the wells that are eight, nine, 10,000 feet, you're, you're adding a digit to it. So a lot of times after they're played out, they don't make any more or any less than the wells half their depth. So, you know, we don't tend to pursue too deep of wells when it's just a deferred maintenance kind of play that we're, that we're, uh, that we're chasing because you're going to get the same end result, but you're going to spend a lot less doing it. If it's in that three to 6,000 foot range on depth. How have prices going up impacted your guys' business? Honestly, it's it's helped on the bottom line for everything we've got done so far. But because it was so low for so long, so many, uh, so much of the labor market has moved to other industries, and everyone's fighting to use these limited amount of services. So it created some delays, and you've just had to kind of bear it. You know, maybe get a little bit more competitive and pay a little bit more for services. A lot of vendors have taken advantage of the shortage and raised their rates. But really, the way we've just kind of stepped all the way around it is is we've looked around for areas that this wasn't the case, which kind of speaks to the area because their service side didn't take as big of a hit. So that means the wells were profitable when prices were low. Sure. And now that prices are high, it's even better. But you know, we've we've made our new home Kansas. Now we still have 
quite a bit of operations in Texas, Louisiana, and Oklahoma. But Kansas, I mean, we've it's hard to it's hard to quote exactly, but we've moved into the upper ranks in the state all inside of this year because we can get so much done out there. It's such a hospitable state is for operators. We're bringing talent from Texas, you know, the Mecca to a state that's very productive, but it's more it's as many individuals that are drilling and operating these wells as it is companies. And and we've nobody's stepping on toes. Everybody's happy to help. They're like, ooh, new Texas money's coming in town. And what can I do for you? We're in Texas. Hey, we're booked. We're busy. Ah. Get on the list, you know. Yeah. So it's made it really hard for everybody. That's why prices have stayed up for so long. Because it, you don't just snap your finger and turn on a bunch of new production because the help's not there. Yeah. If a company's if a company's got 10 rigs, four of them are crude. Company's got 20 rigs, eight of them are crude. The others are collecting dust and, and rusting out because there's not enough help. Yeah. It's the craziest things you'll talk I mean, it's, to people. This is every industry. It's it's great, you know, it's terrible. It's like you people are just fly by night way more than than they used to be and they're they're difficult to right. land right so right. It's well crazy. they want to work from home they don't want to break their back yeah yeah exactly earning yep. riches when they can sit on at home and work on the it's laptop. like it's like our maintenance guys it's like a lost art to try to find those guys they they're they're super elusive they're difficult to keep around or find any any decent help on that side so grant man what a what a great conversation i, I really see so many parallels to to this industry and, and the, the stuff that you're doing in ours, which is, which is really cool to dive into today. People yeah. want to get a hold of you or reach out. How can they reach you? Man, my website, you've got a contact us page. I've got all the social media channels. I feel like I've got one of the better Instagrams for this industry. There might be a few that are a little bit bigger, but they might not be on hands-on doing it themselves probably a lot of bot followers, but no, we're actually out there doing it. And we, we, uh, put a lot of content out so you can kind of see what, what the stuff looks like firsthand, but yeah, website, social media, that's the easiest cool. way. Awesome. Well, Grant, thanks so much for being on this show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Had a great time. I love that this industry is so similar to ours and I'm glad that we got to dissect a bunch of the nuances that really make up this. I mean, there's there's obviously an infinite amount of variables that can come into play when you're doing the oil and gas business, of course, just like there is in apartments. I think people oversimplify our industry and, oh, you, you buy an apartment complex, you flip it to a property manager, and then it cash flows, and then you get the rents and this and that. But the, there's so many variables involved that clearly Grant knew about that that we know about in, in our business that make this successful or not. And so diving into some of those things, I love what he was talking about on the energy net deals situation where it's like, hey, yeah, you can go and, and buy a listed deal at market price, but why do that when you can go get an off-market deal? That you know, that that's pretty interesting. Of course, there's a lot of on-market deals that you, that you can pay normal price that will work, but you got to have enough upside on the back end. I really enjoyed that this is definitely a cash flow model like ours. I think that there's pros and cons to each. I like that ours, our real estate, the assets typically increase in value over time. And it was interesting to hear that there's actually decrease in value over time, but but it sounds like their cash flow is a bit heavier 
So it's just about how you want to skin a cat. Essentially. I actually, in comparing, comparing the two different types of tax benefits in the current environment, I still think I like the, depends on who you are, obviously. I still think I like the real estate side a little bit better if you're a real estate professional, of course. And I think that, that you know, given the fact we have the full bonus depreciation that we can put in there, I think that's that's super helpful. And that, so pretty much covers up all your cash flow. But I see the benefit to his side too. You can get a direct write-off on ordinary income, which is awesome. So just a lot of great things. I hope you guys learned something from this conversation and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.